I'm glad to be here, and uh, I'm glad to be able to worship with you. Uh, if you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 is a very familiar passage, a passage that uh, you've read, I'm sure, many times before. We'll be starting at verse 27 and then going through just the end of that section through verse 30. Listen to this portion of the Word of God. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son choose to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you please pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, we humbly come before you this morning and we ask for your presence. We thank you that you don't require us to be all together, to, to be whole in a sense. We're not. We are weary and we're tired. Maybe we don't even acknowledge it. Perhaps we feel like we have an enormous amount of energy and stamina and endurance, and we can just keep going. And perhaps we can, as far as the world is concerned, as far as our, our friends are concerned, as far as our work is concerned. But we know that our souls are tentative and weak and our need of your presence and your grace. And we thank you that as we look into the Gospels, we hear words such as what we have just read this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, burdened. I will give you rest. So we pray that this morning we might better understand what you have to say to us, that in our weakness we would experience your presence. We need the gospel, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder, though, this morning as you come, when the last time you said to yourself, you know, I really am spent. I'm, I'm tired. I don't know if you have ever read accounts of individuals who have been through enduring circumstances, uh, there's all kinds of books out there that remind us of people who, for various reasons, found themselves just totally spent. I couldn't help to think, especially the last few months, about uh, a story at the beginning of World War II that started with a man who was a soldier in the Polish army. Rowowitz is his last name. Uh, as you remember, the Germans came in from Germany into Poland. They took over that part of Poland, and the Russians, somewhat like they're doing now, came into the eastern side of Poland, and they, they captured the people and the soldiers who were fighting against them. And this one soldier by the name of Slavomir Rolwich was captured, was taken to Moscow. He was put on trial and found guilty and then sent to Siberia. I've never been to Siberia. 
I'm not, sure, I'm not so sure I want to go, but you read a lot about it. And this man, along with many other prisoners of war, was sent to a camp, concentration camp or, or prison camp. And he realized that he was going to be there for 25 years. And he was fairly young. And he thought, that's a really long time. And in the course of a year, he and a few other prisoners created a plan to escape. And in the middle of a, an incredibly large and ferocious snowstorm, they were able to escape from the prison, and they started their walk to British India. Now, can you imagine, if you think about a map, where Siberia is, and then walking from Siberia all the way to India, through China, deserts, through the Himalayas, right? Half of the group that started out didn't make it. But at the very end of the story, Rowich describes what it was like to eventually finish the walk, which took like well over a year, and enter British India spent, totally tired. And he describes uh, the, the, the physical exhaustion at the end of his story, at the end of his book, and that eventually the medical community uh, put him in a coma because his body was so spent, and he slept for a month. Now, I don't know how many of you can sleep maybe to 9 o'clock or to 12 o'clock, you know, uh, because you've, been, you've had a long night or maybe you've had a long week and you just need to sleep. My wife, again, who I mentioned to you as a physical therapy, told me at one point that she had a, a, a patient that was able to sleep for some 30 hours. And I thought to myself, how does someone sleep for 30 hours? Maybe it wasn't uh, uh, you know, without any kind of break, but basically this person uh, got up out of bed 30-some hours later. Now maybe, maybe you haven't experienced that kind of exhaustion, physically speaking, right? But it is possible that this morning, as you've come to worship, that you say to yourself, I'm coming, but in my soul I am spent, I am weary, I, I am heavy burdened in a way, and I don't really find any kind of rest. But the passage that we have read really applies only to those who are spent. Maybe the degrees of exhaustion, of being weary, are going to vary. But in a way, it's a condition. It's what needs to be present when you come to that gate, so to speak. Those who are well, who have it all together, who feel like life is so easy, it's just kind of a dream. Why would they ever need Christ? But it's when you find yourself spent that you need the rest that Jesus and only Jesus offers. And this morning, I would like us to explore a bit about what this rest looks like. It begins, of course, with an understanding, and this morning within worship, we've already accented some of these but it begins with an understanding that the scriptures speak a lot about this whole concept of rest. 
If you recall, for example, in terms of what I'll call the culture and the commands of Scripture, that the Scriptures begin in the book of Genesis with a picture of God resting. And if you think about what's presented there, it's rather interesting because here you have God communicating to us his truths. And as he does so, he begins with with the whole dynamic of his work of creation. He wants to take us into his mindset of what a vocation looks like. And we see the seven days of creation, right? And we find that after each day uh, that there was a certain amount accomplished. And at the end of that day, end of that period of accomplishment, God makes that declaration, right? It was good. He, he looks at what he has done, whether it's the development or the, the creation of light or of, of the earth and other, of the things on the earth, whatever it is. He's giving you his view of work, and he's telling you that he, he segments it. He, he gives certain uh, categories of the work, and it's finished. And at the end of each day, he stops. Now, all this, of course, is anthropomorphic, meaning that He's speaking to us in a way that we can understand. Do I understand all the intricacies of creation? No, I I don't pretend to do so. I just know that God out of nothing created the entire universe. And as he does so, he does it in these segments, and at the end he says, it is good. But at the seventh day, right, we're told that he rests. Does God need to rest? No. Again, he gives us a pattern of what we need. And it's interesting to me that in, that in this whole incredible uh, delivery to us of his word, that he begins with that picture. And it begins, in essence, with this snapshot of rest. You, uh, I won't read it because of time, but if you look at Genesis chapter 2, uh, I won't read the whole chapter, but I'll just read this one section Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work. So God wants us to understand that our work is important, and we are to follow the pattern of his work, the, and then what I will call the, the, the culture of that pattern, that culture which includes this dynamic of, of rest. But then, of course, if you move on in the scriptures, and as we read this morning uh, from Exodus, for example, chapter 20, we're told that there was a command to rest, that we are instructed to keep, to remember that part of what God has done and what God has said. So the point is, is that both in terms of the culture of Scripture and the command of Scripture, we're told rest. It's important. That, that concept that we are to stop. And in a way, what it does for us, it gives us a license to enjoy a part of, of the life that God has given us, but to do it in such a way that will always include this concept of rest. And with that, then, as we continue to go through the Scriptures, we come to that passage there in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus now taking this 
this concept where, again, you've been, you've been taught and you've been exposed to the culture and the, and the command. And then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. And if you think about that passage, what we're reminded of here is that rest is not so much a process. It's not so much a command. Not, not ignoring that part of it, those dimensions of the, of the concept of rest, but fundamentally, the rest has a focus. And the focus isn't on my process, my accomplishments, my abilities, my strength. And certainly this morning, sitting here, I don't feel terribly strong, right? But I understand that my weaknesses, in essence, are my strength because it drives me not to a process, not to an ideology, but it drives me to the person of Christ. And to do that, to be in such a position where you're being driven to the person of Christ, to his love that we've sung about, that we've read about, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his open arms that is receiving you and holding you. There's nothing more beautiful in the gospel than that kind of picture. And you, and you see the way Christ is responding to his disciples, to people who need healing, to people who can't walk, people who need forgiveness of sin, people who need Christ. And 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, things have not changed one little bit. And we have the privilege as the people of God to experience that kind of grace. Now, the two other things I want you to notice as we think about this, the second issue, besides this culture and command and Christ himself, is the need. I want you to think about with me, if you will, the different aspects of, of the need that we have in regards to coming to Christ. Let me, if I may, start this part of what I would like to communicate to you by providing three different seasons of life. The first season of life is what I'll call the primary season. It's from birth to the time you finish your schooling and you're moving into some aspect of of work, you're, but you're finished school, right? I call that the primary season. The mid-season, middle season, is from the time you start whatever uh, life is after school until you're retired. As I look out, I see those who are both uh, in the, or maybe in all three, I'm kind of looking here, and there must be somebody in the primary. You've got somebody in that middle season and then that final season. I, I would say that I've moved into the final season. I own that. Final season is often what we recall or refer to as retirement and, and uh, where we've kind of done the, the career side, right? But depending on what season you're in, you're going to find the strains of life to be a little bit different, right? They, they just are. I mean, 
They just, it's just how things work. It's really different to be a student in school and struggling with grades versus a mother in her 40s who has four children and they really demand a lot. And she just finds herself at the end of the day totally spent. And there's a difference between those two friends as, as well as someone who maybe now is in their 80s. And uh, physically speaking, it's really hard. Or maybe they just, you just lost a loved one, your spouse, and life is really hard. Think about these, these particular occasions of weariness. Besides the physical, the physical things, people lack sleep, physically speaking. I mean, they just don't sleep well. They go to bed, they fall asleep, and then within an hour or two, they're up and they cannot get back to sleep. And they, they go through the night, it's miserable, and they go through the day and it's miserable because they feel so spent. Some people are experiencing depression. Maybe you've had some season of depression, but I can tell you that depression will spend you. You will feel exhausted. Some experience anxiety. Life seems very, very tentative. And there's a lot of things to worry about. And you just, in your own soul, you feel anxious. Uh, you feel frustrated because things haven't gone the way that you wanted them. And they don't seem to be ever going the way that you want. Or maybe you find that you're terribly bored. And like there's just no stimulation in life. There's like, it's almost like there isn't any life out there. And everything just seems boring to you, or maybe you are confused and lost and directionless and you thought that you had, you thought you had things set. You thought that it was good, but it's not. Maybe you're angry or you're bitter. And it doesn't take much for us to find ourselves in that case where we are angry and bitter, or maybe we are Maybe we have found ourselves to be spiritually cold. Unrealized dreams and goals, unrealized personal troubles, unrealized, and the list goes on and on. And then what happens is we look, we look for the fix. Sometimes the fix is drugs. Sometimes the fix is a relationship that is not healthy. Sometimes the fix and the list goes on and on and on. And even as a Christian, somehow we forget those words of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy burden. I will give you rest. Psalm 42, to me, is one of those wonderful psalms that remind us of what it looks like for us to be resting in Christ and in verse 1, we read, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Do you hear the weakness? Do you hear the struggles? Do you hear uh, the pain of soul? 
while my people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I used to go to the house of God under the, under the protection of the mighty one, which shouts with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Do you ever find your soul going in that direction of coming before God and taking your anxiety, the back pains, the, uh, the weariness because you're bitter and you're angry and life just seems like it hasn't delivered what you want. And you've you found in the morning crying out to God, God. And that brings us to the third which is the benefits of establishing and maintaining this rhythm of gospel rest. Four things real quickly. First of all, as I mentioned to you, when you look at God's pattern of creation, God's pattern of work, and by the way, just to accent this, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's message to us about his plan of redemption, his, his story of redemption. And it's fascinating to me to think that as he begins his story of redemption, he wants you to focus upon this whole dynamic of vocation and work. And again, that takes us to that seventh day where he's finished and he rests. You need to establish a rhythm within your life a daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm, an annual rhythm where you stop and you say, it is finished, it's complete. Whatever it may be, to whatever degree, and that you, in essence, own and celebrate the fact that the reason why you've had work, you've had the privilege of work, whether it's baking bread or taking care of your children or building a skyscraper or whatever it may be, that you stop and you say, Lord, this is because of you. And for today, or the week, it is finished. We, we need to have that kind of mindset. And isn't it somewhat noteworthy that when Jesus, and you see this in John chapter 19, is on the cross, in terms of the whole work of salvation, he says what when he's hanging there and he's suffering? He says to tell us that it is finished. It's accomplished. You sit here. 2,000 years after Christ hung on that cross, took the wrath of God upon himself that belongs to you and me. And he says, it is finished. And so as we come and we worship, we don't come thinking, I hope, I hope salvation will be for me. I hope the Lord will save me. I hope the Lord will bring me into his presence. No, we come with the assurance as children, sons and daughters of the living God, that we belong to one who said it is finished. And there's nothing that you or I can do that can take away that act of redemption. Secondly, as I mentioned to you in Psalm 42, it is important for us to be able to stop and be still before God and to be quiet, and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts, into our lives. 
that we would, have a, we would be able to have a different perspective on our lives. Because the Holy Spirit now is working. And we're not just trying to push our way through things. But we're quiet and still. Psalm 32 is one of my favorite psalms that speak about being content as a child, as a, as a weaned child with his mother. We need to be in that posture with our Lord where we can, we can review, so to speak, that day or the next day, that week, that previous week, and the coming week, that previous year, the coming year, where we can just stop and we can see our sin and we can see the, 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 the things that are going on where there is anger and where there is bitterness and where there is just frustration, whatever it may be, so that we can then come before the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this. I mean, I'll be honest with you, like this morning was terribly frustrating. I got out of bed really thinking that I was okay. Last night, I had, you know, the pain was, was kind of there, the discomfort, and my wife, physical therapist, puts ice on it, and she's taking care of me, and I went to bed, and I, you know, I, I felt really like I was doing fine. I didn't worry about it at all, I, and I thought, oh, I'll get up, and I just need a good night's rest. I got up this morning, and I thought, again, I, I'm fine, and then, I'm telling you, after about 15 minutes, I was like, I can't even stand. I can sit. I can't even stand. And I had to start owning my weaknesses. And I'll tell you right now, I, I thought to myself, does the Lord want me here with you? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't be here. I don't know. But I also know that, Lord, you've given me enough strength to get in the car. I can drive the hour to get out here. I, I can sit here. And if you would accept me, why not, right? And I don't look terribly painful right now. If I get up, the time I get to that door, it's, it's going to be a different story. Once I get in my car, I'm going to be okay. But the point is, is that I, I needed this morning, I needed my time on my, not on my back, but on my face, on the, on the floor, uh, as I tried the ice, to somehow give me some kind of, of uh, resolve in this. But as I lay there, I'm praying, Lord, what are you doing in my life? I've got a week, I've got two weeks where I need to be healthy. I, I don't know what this means. And sometimes that's how it is for us. And maybe it's not just a day or two, but it's a year after year after year. And then maybe... Maybe the agony doesn't ever go away. But the Lord never goes away. He's always with you. He always loves you. I'll be real quick with the last two. I need to see my idols. The third benefit of rest is that I will see my idols in a way that I won't if I'm busy. If I'm busy and I'm going like crazy, I'm great. I was speaking to a group of 20s and 30-something, people who were in their younger, the earlier part of their middle season, as I call it, 
and uh, I was speaking on this particular topic. And I, I really have a, a, a passion for this because I, I believe that so often in the church and within Christians, we just don't stop enough to see our idols. And the idols for someone in their 20s and 30s is going to be different than someone like me, who, who is a bit older, right? Or someone younger. But they are there, I can assure you. One of the idols that came up to me uh, when, I real, when I left Oklahoma City, so being a pastor there for 20 years, uh, having been a pastor for a few more years before that, then coming to Washington, D.C. to develop this ministry, I wasn't preaching regularly. Maybe for about four or five months, I was worshiping like I should be, and I was worshiping with my family in a way that I hadn't been for many, many, many years. And as I sat there and I listened to the sermons and the preaching, after a while it was fine, it, was, it seemed like a sabbatical, and then all of a sudden I realized I was very uncomfortable and like there was something not right, and I felt like, oh, you know, I need to get back into preaching. And, I, and then I realized all of a sudden that, oh my, during the course of those 20 years in Oklahoma City, in a way, the pulpit for me had become an idol. And when it was taken away, I wasn't happy. I wasn't comfortable. I wasn't satisfied. I needed the pulpit fixed to keep me happy. That's a really distorted picture uh, of how, how is it that something that is sacred in a way that is, that is there for the benefit of the body of Christ can be used for the purpose of building someone's narcissism. But I had to own that. And I still have to own that, that there are idols in my life. And when I'm quiet and still, I get to see it. And then last is that I need to worship and you need to worship. And we need to worship. And we can't worship when we're busy. We need to come to the Lord. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy burdened, and in essence, worship me.